Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Need a cold coffee with a bold flavor? Dunkin' Cold K-Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. Brew over ice straight out of the Keurig coffee maker for smooth, delicious Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find your next Dunkin' Cold coffee in the roasted coffee aisle. Have you ever listened to someone speak and say to yourself, oh my gosh, I need more. I need more from this person. Well, that is exactly what I feel about my next guest today. Lynn Twist is a global visionary. She has committed her life to alleviating poverty, ending world hunger, empowering the status of women and girls, supporting social justice and environmental sustainability. The scope of Lynn's impact ranges from working with Mother Teresa in Calcutta to working with refugees in camps in Ethiopia. She's explored and studied the threatened rainforests of the Amazon and guided the philanthropy of some of the world's wealthiest families. She writes about her work in the best-selling award-winning book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. Her TED Talk on the topic had me in awe. And her latest book, Living a Committed Life, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in a Purpose Larger Than Yourself, will have you rethinking everything you thought you knew about what it means to seek a higher cause. I myself am a firm believer in action, looking for ways I can put the work in. I left this conversation motivated and invigorated, and I hope you will too. I'm Hoda Kotb. Welcome to my podcast, Making Space. First of all, Miss Lynn Twist, I am so excited to be sitting here with you because all roads keep leading to you. I have never met you in person, but every time I meet someone, talk to someone, listen to someone, your name comes up. And I was like, Lynn Twist, Lynn Twist, Lynn Twist. So of course I hit Lynn Twist and TED Talk. That's my go-to. And I saw uh-huh. this fascinating TED Talk and a fascinating life that you have. And first, I just want to say thank you. And I want to tell our listeners that you might want to have a pen and paper handy because that's what I feel when I hear you speak. I'm like, Write it down. What did she say? Like this, you're one of those people who has so much beautiful wisdom, life-changing wisdom, mm. wisdom you don't hear other places. So anyway, welcome. And it's so nice to see you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I can't believe you said all that stuff. Wow. <laughs> well, Wonderful. I'm delighted, honored, and thrilled to be talking to you. So it's a match. You have a beautiful book called Living a Committed Life. And just reading the title of it makes you kind of nod your head and say, I want to have that. And I think, you know, look, a lot of people have a job and their job pays the bills and it's hard work and they come home and they're tired and they get to spend a little time with their families before they go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. And they find themselves on this merry-go-round and and suddenly it's retirement day and suddenly it's my back's now out and now I can't do X, Y, and Z. And that's where their life has taken them. And having a committed life is a choice. And mm-hmm. it's a choice you made early. And mm-hmm. I found that fascinating because I think it takes a lot of people, sometimes a lot of time because you think, I'll, I'll have a committed life after I have my house, my car, my kids are in college, and then I'll figure out what my what I'm committed to. You didn't do it that way. 
Well, I feel very fortunate that that uh, it's almost like it found me rather than I found it, although I try to help people find it as early as they can in their life. But I was lucky enough to um, get involved with uh, the great Buckminster Fuller when I was a young woman. And I didn't really understand anything he was talking about. Uh, but I loved the way he was, the beingness, the the love he had for the what he called the intellectual integrity of the universe. And I, I just loved Buckminster Fuller. Loved, but we called him Bucky at the time. And um, when I first encountered him in live and in person was with 2,000 other people in a huge auditorium. And I had a, a realization, a, a revelation, you could say a transformation and transmutation uh, that changed my life, which was the source of my book, The Soul of Money, and the source of years and years and years of, of really examining our relationship with money and how distorted it is so that we could be uh, freed up from the kind of money culture. But it wasn't just that. A miracle was born, which is called The Hunger Project. And The Hunger Project is a commitment to end world hunger. And I was in my 30s, and it swept me off my feet that I could be involved in something so gigantic, so life-altering, so honorable, so uh, world-changing as to end world hunger, not to only work on alleviating suffering, but really end it. And that gave me such a sense of the capacity to make a difference. So making a difference became a, 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 a possibility early in my life. When I had little kids, it was inconvenient, but I grabbed it like a shining star and went with it. That's the, I find that fascinating. I happen to have little kids too, one's four and one's six. But people <laughs> have, you know, children and families and think, for my very first obligation is to make sure my, my kids and my family are okay. And if I'm <laughs> traveling around saving the world, I'm not, paying attention to my kids. So that decision for you was a clear one, one that you kind of had with them. You had a conversation about it. I did, but I, you know, it, as I say, it kind of chose me. So I, I really, I, I don't know if it was a decision or I, choo I chose what swept over me that I couldn't ignore or resist. It was a calling. I call it a calling and a calling is different than a choice. Well, you choose a calling. But it's different than a decision, like, should I do this or should I do that? That's a decision. A calling is more like it grabs you, it takes you, and then you need to be true to it. And um, I, 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 my kids were three, five, and seven. So I was just like, I can't do this. I can't end world hunger. I can't go to India, Ethiopia, places like that. I need to, you know, show up for snack day and, <laughs> and go, go to parent-teacher conferences and drive kids to the soccer, you know, practice and stuff. But somehow I couldn't uh, not do it. It was calling to who I was. So I sat down with them. I think you're referring to this. Uh, when I'd been involved for, uh, you know, maybe a year, I was trying to, you know, do snack day and, and, and drive to soccer matches and show up in India for a conference or be in Ethiopia after the famine. And, you know, that's kind of impossible. And no matter where I was, I was always worrying about the other place. Mm -hmm. So I was never actually where I was when I was there. And so I sat down with them and I remember sitting on the floor in our family room, my husband, Bill, my three kids, Zachary, Summer, and Billy. And uh, Billy was, I think, 10, uh, Summer was eight, and Zachary was six. And um, I was crying and I was saying, you know, I can't not work on ending world hunger and I, I want you all to to 
just know that this is my calling. I'm doing it for you and for the world, the world in which you live. And I'm going to miss some stuff. And I know I've already missed some stuff, but if you would just bless this, this is really what I need to do. And I'm doing it in honor of our lives and the lives that will follow us. And my daughter, Summer, she's sort of our comedian. She was eight. She said, mom, if you can end world hunger, we don't want you driving us to the orthodontist. (laughs) Someone else can do that. And we all burst into laughter. (laughs) And then my youngest son, Zach, said, mom, I take the coolest things to show and tell. You brought those masks from Cote d'Ivoire from Africa. We put them up. Everybody's talking about it. And then my oldest son said, mom, you know, we have people staying in our house from Ethiopia. We have people being trained for the Hunger Project work from India, from Ghana, from Senegal. This is the coolest life. And, you know, other other families, they go to Aspen for, for holidays, for spring break. We go to Micronesia. I mean, we're cool. <laughs> yeah, you and are so, cool. <laughs> and so my kids and my husband, Bill, just gave me total permission. Mm. And after that, I knew that what I was doing was being true to them, true to myself, mm. and true to being an example of uh, listening to a calling. Well, you know what's interesting? Um, in, in your book, Living a Committed Life, there's a chapter on, I, th- I, don't, I don't know if it's called The Myth of Scarcity, but it's yes. how we think everything's going away. You know, it's sort of like, I need to get extra toilet paper because, uh-oh, we might not have it tomorrow. I need to make sure that we have a freezer full of X. Will you talk about that? Because I feel like, we feel like, well, if I've got everything I need, then I can give Mary Smith something, but I can't give it to mm-hmm. her unless I have plenty in my house so that we're safe for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, I thank you for asking that because that's really what I learned from Buckminster Fuller. And that became the kind of central tenet of, of my life, um, that there is this mindset. It's an unconscious, unexamined mindset, unconscious and unexamined, a mindset or a way of seeing the world that's part of the consumer culture that's part of the culture of money, that's part of the culture in which we all live. It was here before you and I were born and be here probably after we're gone. And it's a mindset, an unconscious, unexamined belief in scarcity. And that is that there's not enough to go around and someone somewhere is always going to be left out. And I'm calling it a lie or a condition of thinking that I really believe is inaccurate, unconscious, and makes us a little bit crazy. Mm. And um, there's three toxic myths, I call them, in the mindset of scarcity, which is really a lens from which we look at life rather than something we determine. It's almost like we're looking through a lens of scarcity. There's not enough to go around and someone somewhere is going to be left out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, more is better. And that's just the way that it is. And so we don't question it. So the first toxic myth in the mindset of scarcity is there's not enough, number one. There's not enough. And as I said, it's about there's not enough to go around and someone somewhere is going to be left out. And I have to make sure it's not me and mine or the people that I'm responsible for or me and the people I consider to be my tribe, my people, my whatever. And that immediately creates an us and a them. Mm -hmm. And we look at the thems and we think, well, I'll help them later, uh, the people who are left out. Uh, but because there's not enough to go around and somebody's going to be left out. But I have to get way more than my than I need for, for me and mine before I help them. And that's the source of excess and mm-hmm. accumulation and taking way more than we need. 
a thinking that someday we'll help them and maybe someday we do. But even if we have to take things at the, their expense, we think it's responsible to take more than we need. Mm. And and so that's uh, myth number one. Uh, there's there's not enough. Myth number two is more is better. More of anything and everything is better. More becomes an indiscriminate way of looking at life. More square feet in my house, uh, more market share, more money, more black pants, more shoes, more this, more that, more, 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 more. And it's indiscriminate. Even multi-billionaires think they need more. Yeah. They need another plane, another boat, and they need now they need an island. They need a, you know, et cetera. And more is better is reinforced by massive marketing and advertising that we all engage in and we all buy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the the poster child for more is better is our waste problem, our climate crisis, and uh, just think about the industry of storage. I mean, storage, what a weird thing. Why would we need storage? Why don't we just use the stuff we have? And if we don't need it anymore, get rid of it. No, we have to store it because we think we, we're going to need it someday. Um, and then the third toxic myth. So first being there's not mm-hmm. enough. Second, more is better. And the third is that's just the way that it is, and there's nothing you can do about it, so you need to kind of buy in. And that's the source of resignation, that's the source of apathy, that's the source of giving up, that's the source of just being a slave mm-hmm. to this mindset of scarcity. And if you just clear that away for a moment, like when you see uh, a, a little baby and a new baby wraps their little hand around your finger and you know This is a moment of absolute bliss and sufficiency or watching the sunrise or the sunset. We all have these moments in nature in our lives when we know that there's enough. There's enough for everyone everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. And Bucky Fuller really taught me that there's enough for everyone Mm -hmm. everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. And the mindset of scarcity has us live in a you or me paradigm. Mm -hmm. Either you make it at my expense or I make it at your expense because we think there's not enough for both of us. And he said in 1978, we're now in a you and me world. There's enough for everyone where you and I can both make it at no one's expense. So I can talk more about that in a minute, but that's a new world. Well, I do. I, by the way, I'm fascinated by that whole concept because it's everywhere. It's all around. And I think what I loved, going back to your book, The Soul of Money, I think part of it is... I loved how there's there's rich and poor, and I think anyone, most people would think if I get enough stuff, I'd be happy, and how could those rich people be so cranky, and why are they complaining? Every time someone rich says, oh, this is bugging, everyone goes, oh, give me a break, and someone who's <laughs> poor obviously is like, when you do not have the things you need, that is what hell must be, but I think what I find so fascinating about you is you kind of redefined both terms, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not what you thought at all. Well, I don't think there are any haves and have nots. You know, working on hunger and poverty, you really learn that. The people who, uh, who, who we sometimes think of as poor or have nots are amazing people. They have to be so resourceful. They have to be. You know, I worked in, in Africa for many years and, and sub, sub, subcontinent of, of India. And I, I learned that that to call people poor is to diminish them and, and, and to demean them and those of us who would call them that. Because if you get to know them, you realize, wow, they are so creative. They have to be. They're so innovative. 
they're super intelligent. They have to be. They may not know how to read or write because they haven't been given that opportunity, but that doesn't mean they're not intelligent. What's poor is their resources, mm-hmm. not them. They're whole and complete people living in the ebb and flow and sometimes crushing reality of resource-poor circumstances, oppression, war, uh, economic deprivation. But they're strong. In fact, some they're some of the most remarkable people on this planet, frankly. And, you know, we take workshops and go to podcasts like this one to kind of get the strength that they have in daily life. Um, and especially women, I'll just say, the women in Africa that I come to know and love. They're, they're just awesome, awesome, awesome human beings. And then to call people rich is also to demean them because they're just whole and complete people dealing with the challenges of life and the ebb and flow of of resources. And But they start, if we call them rich and treat them as rich, they start thinking they are their trust fund. They are their salary. They are their stock price. And then if it goes up or down, their, their whole survival is threatened. You know, it, 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 we aren't our our resources, we are, or our circumstances, we're whole and complete people. And so there's not haves and have-nots. The people living in resource-poor circumstances have a kind of strength, a resilience, a creativity, an Mm -hmm. innovation that we long for. We may have resources and connections, but together we can make a miracle. And with co-equal partnership, we can heal the world. Mm. God, that is so beautiful. Do you think, you know, you talk about, you know, you want to end world hunger, yet we probably know in our lifetimes that won't happen. I mean, what's it like to take on something, Lynn, that's so big that you know you will not see to fruition? Well, I actually think that's a a, a gift because number one, if you think of your own life as a gift that you are given then it's your opportunity or maybe your responsibility to give it. Rather than to live a life starring me, uh, you know, we all have this uh, thing that success is uh, a life starring you that, that where you can take credit for things and become wealthy and famous and successful in, in all the ways that uh, our society defines it. But if you take on a purpose larger than your own life, larger than your own life starring you, something you can never take credit for. It humbles you. It ennobles your life. It gives you a kind of deep and profound meaning. And you are a contribution. You aren't trying to, you know, let's say you're not trying to meet a goal or take credit or put stuff on the scoreboard. You're actually living in the possibility of something like um ending world hunger, for example. Mm-hmm. I have a commitment, uh, a life commitment to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. I'm not going to be able to check that off like a to-do, but it's a way to live my life. And when I live consistent with that new dream for humanity, I make choices that become consistent with that future. And it, it gives you a life of meaning, of purpose, uh, and you start becoming the person you need to be to fulfill it. Mm. It's like the commitment reaches back into your life and makes you into the person you need to be to fulfill that commitment rather than you have to be the person who can fulfill it first and then you commit and then you can do it. No, it's the other way around. It's just amazing. And how do you, it lights you how, up. Yes, I could tell, man. You're, you're effervescent, I have to say. So how <laughs> do you 
If you have not had the moment like you had in your 30s where it hit you like a lightning bolt, that's my purpose. I know there are people listening right now who are saying to themselves, I'd like to find, I want what she's having, but I, my lightning bolt hasn't hit me. Can you go find it or does it have to come to you? How do you, how do you suggest people find the purpose? Well, I would say listening to podcasts like yours, uh, you know, listening to people like you, but really what I, I uh, invite people to do is I have them really, and I invite people to do this now, to look and see when you look out in the world, you know, the big world, the whole thing, all of humanity, the community of life, the earth, all of it, what really truly breaks your heart? What really breaks your heart? And, you know, maybe many, many things. Obviously, there's so much to uh, this heartbreaking now. But what is one of the primary most deep things that breaks your heart. And when you really, you know, tap into that, it might be that that children, that a child would have no one who stands for them, or uh the cruelty to uh to the community of life, or the the, you know, the the breakdown of our uh, of our living systems, or it what really breaks your heart, something kind of big. And then what makes your heart sing? What really makes your heart sing? And not just what gives you a little bit of fun now and then, but what when it happens or what you're, when you're doing it, when you're being it, what makes your heart sing? And often what breaks your heart and what makes your heart sing uh, defines who you really are, why you're here on this planet, what you came to do, who you came to be. You know, I say, because we're living at such an epic time, I mean, this is the decisive decade, many would say that, I say it. Here we are in 2023 going in 2024. You know, this is a decisive time, uh, 2020 to 2030, for the environment, for all kinds of things. Um, and if you're on this planet now, I say you have a role to play. Mm-hmm. It may not be a big role or a small role. It's just your role or you wouldn't be here. That's what I think. And if you think of things that way you and you listen for the signs, you know, when you were a little girl in the playground or a little boy in the playground, did you defend against the bullies? Uh, maybe you're a justice person. Maybe you want justice for every single person. Or you the person who chose the person first for kickball that was the least able to kick the ball. Maybe you're all about include, including people who feel left out. Or you the person who was marveling at the beauty of a tree when you were three or four years old. You just loved it more than you loved anything. Maybe you're a person who stands for giving people access to beauty. You can see in your childhood who your high heroes and heroines you can see there's often a through line in your life that leads you to, what's my big commitment? What do I really stand for? What am I here for? Mm-hmm. And if you start listening and looking for those signs, that calling will start to call to you. Um, and that's what I recommend. Mm, God, that's beautiful. And if, if you know, because people still have to pay their bills, like their yes. rent and their food. And I think you want to chase <laughs> so that. Annoying. You want yeah, all that stuff. You want to you chase that purpose. But I think sometimes people revert to the more practical side, which is that sounds all well and good. And I'd love to do all that stuff. But quite frankly, my rent comes due at the first of the month and I got to be ready. And if I, you know, pull up stakes from where I am and try to find that big, lofty, beautiful thing, maybe I won't be able to take care of my needs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, a, a bit of a challenge and a bit of an irritation. I I, I that myself. Uh, at the same time, you know, I think we all know people and have uh, experiences where we know that it's um, 
it's possible no matter who you are and no matter where you are, no, no matter what your economic or financial circumstances, to live a life of meaning and purpose and to incorporate the um, livelihoodness, uh, how to earn your way uh, into the hearts and minds of uh, people everywhere and earn your way into a sufficient life financially and put those things together as well as you can. Sometimes it takes, you got to do this a little mm -hmm. bit before you do that. Sometimes there's a first we have to, and sometimes there's not. If the context of your life is large enough, the content will align. Context is decisive. Context gives content meaning. I, I, I'm remembering a man um, who used to uh, drive a bus when my husband went to business school in Chicago when we were young and still in school. And he always used to get to the corner where he took the bus to his business school classes to get this bus driver named Joe. Because Joe, when people got on Joe's bus, he greeted them, Bill, my husband, Bill, <laughs> Bill, how's it going today? I know it's raining outside, but it's cozy in this bus. You sit down here right next to me. I'd like to hear how things are going for you while I'm driving. Oh. And he, and, and this guy is a bus driver, but a big, beautiful African-American man. He wanted people on his bus to be happy and welcome and warm. And that was his mission in life, love, love every single person, make mm. them feel wanted, seen, included, and heard. And you know, that that sometimes people were grumpy and they didn't like Joe talking to them, but he made it good for them too. So, you know, it, you could be a waitress, you could be a bus driver, you can be ending world hunger, you can be a lot Gandhi, you can be anything you want and you, you can make it into something that serves the long-term future of life and gives people and yourself a, a purpose larger than your life starring you. Coming up, Lynn shares the lesson she learned from Mother Teresa. That's after the break. When you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9. Because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. You uh, worked alongside Mother Teresa, which is just another dream. And when you think of the Mother Teresas and the Mahatma Gandhis and the Martin Luther Kings and all of these people, you imagine them only on the world stage. That's how I see them. And when I was reading, I was like, Lynn was side by side with Mother Teresa. They mm -hmm. did, First of all, they didn't all start off big, obviously. They just started off doing good things. But what did you learn from Mother Teresa? What did she teach you? 
Oh my God. Oh, I just kind of started to cry there, but um, uh, she taught me humility. <laughs> <laughs> and that, um, that Christ, you can see Christ in every face. I had an encounter with some very rude and un, uh, un, uh, ungrateful people who were meeting with her, who, who, who broke into a meeting that I was having with her. And, um, and she treated them with such respect, and they were so rude to her. You know, imagine being rude to Mother Teresa. And I was so angry with these people. But when they left, I realized that my blood was boiling, and she was fine with these people. And um, I wrote to her afterwards, and she told me, you can see Christ in every face, even in the entitled, the rude, the wealthy, the the overbearing, the domineering. Mm. Um, Christ is, is, is inside of every face, or oh, love is in every face. And um, she said this one cool thing, and it's it's quoted from time to time, but I heard her say it, and I remember thinking, oh my God. She said, um, the unadulterated love of one person can nullify the hatred of millions. <laughs> this quote, I'll just say it again, the unadulterated love <laughs> of one person <laughs> can nullify the hatred of millions. You know, I can't prove that. I can't, there's like not a lot of evidence for that, but that's a way to live and that's the way she lived. Mm, <laughs> and uh, she, she was an awesome example Wow! Of, of love is at the core. Love is God. Love is the universe. Love is who we are at our core. Wow. Common ground is something that seems... I don't know, um, not, not as prevalent as it used to be. Um, <laughs> having conversations, getting people together, because, uh, you know, just finding the, the things that we share seems like it's such a far fetch. I mean, we just had we just had the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade not too long ago, and it was the highest rated they've had in forever. And the reason being, I think, is because it's something everyone agrees on. Oh my yes. gosh, it's a parade. There's not you and me or them and us. This is just what we do. And I'm just looking for more of those things that seem to bring everyone together at the to the table. There's enough for everyone everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. And this you or me paradigm is still reigning supreme, but it's in its death throes, actually. That's why it's so intense, I think. And mm -hmm. I think one of the most powerful things that people are doing now. And this podcast and your work is 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 part of it, is reaching across to each other, connecting, belonging, realizing it's not left, it's not right. Let's not go enough. Let's not go right. Let's go deep. Let's go deep. We are aligned. We may not agree. That's up here. But when we go deep, we're aligned. We mm -hmm. want the world to work for everyone with no one and nothing left out. We want human life to flourish with the community of life, our, our, our kin on this planet, the, the other animals and plants. We want the end of not just all these other supremacies that we talk about. We want the end of human supremacy. Mm -hmm. We want human beings to tone it down, you know, and to participate <laughs> with everybody else here. We want, um, we all want the same thing deep down underneath. And when we reach across, get in conversation, um, collaborate, that's co-labor, work together. We will create institutions, new economic systems that are, that are, um, that are circular, that are, uh, re, re, that, that recycle everything, not just things, but um, 
but are the kind of economic systems where no one's left out. Mm -hmm. We can do that. We have that intelligence now, and we have so many tools. After the break, Lynn shares the way of thinking that can redirect your life, tackling self-doubt and fear, and how gratitude can be transformational. Stay with us. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You said something that I loved uh, for everybody who's walking around kind of in their own private Idaho with their own problems and their own things. And you talked about how when you're younger, sometimes you're given a life sentence. (laughs) And I love this phrasing because it's like a line somebody says to you and you carry it your whole life. And it's a burden because someone has tagged you or described you. And now you're like, I guess that's me. I'm Mm -hmm. the this one or the that one. Will you just talk about that? I find that fascinating. And also, how do you get rid of that thing? Um, The uh, uh, life sentence being like a life sentence, like a prison uh, Mm -hmm. that's in your mind. And um, it might have been that someone told you you're, you're never amount to anything. And that got stuck in your mind. And that gets repeated like, you know, rivulets in the snow when you're doing cross-country skiing. And every time you think you don't amount to anything, you don't amount to anything, you're never going to amount to anything. It gets deeper and deeper, and it becomes a life sentence, a prison in the way you think. But you can free yourself from your life sentences. When you start to listen to a life sentence that um, uh, you'll never measure up to your mother or, uh, God, God, it must be tough being blank or this or that, uh, that if it's a negative life sentence, you can repeat place it with an affirmation. You can say, I mean, really, this sounds so simple, it must not possibly work, but it does. You can say cancel. You can say, if you say, uh, if you have these doubts about yourself, and we all do, um, and, and they're, I, I, I'm going to do a terrible interview with Hoda, I, I, I won't be ready. I say, cancel, cancel. I am so ready. I've lived a life. I earned the right to talk to her today. I'm going to do the best interview I've ever done on the soul of money, on living a committed life, on anything she asks me. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, you, you, your brain will will obey. It will obey. Mm. But you have to say cancel, you know, out loud or in your mind. Uh, and and it's, it's really incredible how simple but not easy it is to redirect the trajectory of your own life. You know, every single moment, we have the opportunity to transform our lives and to live in the kind of deep and profound gratitude for just being alive at such an irremarkable time. 
where you can make this kind of a difference and know that not only uh, can you, but I think there's a demand, a request, an invitation, maybe even a responsibility to realize that if you're alive now, as I said before, you have a role to play and play it with all of your heart. And don't let those doubts and fears and those life sentences free yourself of those prisons and mm-hmm. replace them with the affirmations that give you the access to the kind of life you've always dreamed of and to make the kind of difference that you're here to make. And it's a responsibility to get rid of those life senses. It's not just life would be easier and better and more fun. No, don't allow that. Say, no, not for me. I have so much to do. I have such a difference to make. Get out of here, those ideas. They're mm-hmm. not valid. That's not who I am. Who I am is somebody who who's here to really matter. Do you ever like lose your mojo? Do you ever have days where you're like, you know what? I, I mean, I, every every interview I've watched, every interaction you've had, I just see electricity because I, and that's why I mean, it's so clear it's your calling. But sometimes we all try and we and we have stumbles along the way. How do you get yourself out of a funk when you get in one? And yeah, just what's the best way to do that? Well, <laughs> I have those days and I do them really, really full out. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm having a, um, you know, a downer and I have them, I mean, my God, I'm human being too. I realize I just need to give myself a break here and let myself complain and moan and, uh, and you know, say terrible things. And, and I have um, uh, colleagues and friends, we probably all do. Um, and methodologies where I say, I have my, my, my business partner, I, my, my work wife, I call her, Sarah Vetter. Um, I say to her, Sarah, I want to do a spring cleaning. This comes from a woman named Mama Gina, who's, who does incredible work. I want to do a spring cleaning. And a spring cleaning is something where she's just there and she listens to me complain and complain and complain. She doesn't agree with me. She doesn't uh, validate it. She doesn't argue with, she doesn't try to change my line. She just says, thank you. What else? And they say, well, I just hate this. And I, I can't get on Google Docs. And something's wrong with my computer. And I'm so mad at my husband because he didn't da, da, da. And then they spin around me and she says, thank you. And what else? <laughs> I love this. And then um, and then you complete with, what are you grateful for? When, when you're done with the download, what are you grateful for? Well, I'm so grateful for this conversation because I feel so much better now. I'm so grateful to be alive. Actually, I have such awesome health for my age. I can't even believe it. And actually, the day, it's so sunny. Holy moly, I forgot my grandchildren. I'm going to spend time with them this weekend. And pretty soon, I'm so moved, I'm crying, and I'm inspired again. And um, And so everybody can get themselves out of a funk. And I also love, 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 as we all do, nature. I mean, I can go sit. I live near, um, I live in California, Northern California, and I live near what's called the Presidio. There's a forest not far from my home, and there's a redwood grove. And if I go to that redwood grove and I look at those trees, I mean, I just think about them. These magnificent trees, they're just gigantic. They're (laughs) strong. They're uh, resilient. They've been there for thousands of years. And I realize the privilege it is to be alive at a time when mm. I can be in communion with that kind of a being, um, it all comes back to me and I can be inspired again. 
And I also consider myself someone whose job in life, and I think you're like this too, is to inspire people. Mm-hmm. And so I know that I need to clear myself so that I can be back on duty. And when I'm back on duty, I'm inspired by literally everything I look at. And um, gratitude is is a tonic. Gratitude is transformational. Gratitude can always take you from where you are to where you want to be. So um, those are some of the things that I do. This this all makes so much sense to me. I just want to say thank you. But before you before we say goodbye, Lynn, we do call this podcast Making Space because I feel like everyone should make space for themselves, time where they can recharge and recalibrate, where they don't have to be on the giving end. Um, so mm-hmm. when you, if you had a, a blank slate day, no kids, no grandkids, no no speeches, no podcasts. It was your day. How mm. would you how would you make space for yourself on that day? How would you spend it? Oh gosh, uh, what a great question. I love that. Well, I would uh, walk on the beach. Um, I live near uh, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and beautiful beaches in Northern California. I would uh, spend time in the forest, the, the the beautiful forests that we have in Northern California. I would spend time with my, I would hike with my grandchildren because mm. there's nothing more wonderful than being with grandchildren, particularly my grandchildren. They're so precious. Um, I would spend time with my beloved husband, Bill Twist, who I've been married to for 57 years. Wow. And um, I would um, get a massage. I love massage. I would meditate. Um, I would uh, I would pray. I would lay on the earth and um, cry with joy because it's such a gift to be alive right now when both life is um, uh, is both in danger and we have the opportunity to turn the tide like no generation that's ever lived. I would live that day in gratefulness or great fullness, mm-hmm. which is noticing absolutely everything of beauty around me and bowing to it, acknowledging it and honoring it. So that's what I would do. Lynn, I, I had such high expectations for this interview and it totally eclipsed it as I knew it would. Lynn, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an absolute joy. I'm deeply grateful and keep it up. I will. I will. Thank you, Lynn. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening and for coming on this journey with me. If you like what you heard, and I hope that you do, please give Making Space a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you tell your friends. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Making Space with Hoda Kotb is produced by Allison Berger and Alexa Kasavecchia, along with Amanda Sidman and Kate Saunders. Our production assistant is Megan Cilio. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Mastrarilli. Our audio engineers are Bob Mallory and Katherine Anderson. Original music by John Estes. Bryson Barnes is our head of audio production. Missy Dunlop-Parsons is our executive producer. Sharice Williams-Laredo is our senior producer. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.